Okay, welcome to Practical Ready, Clinical Education in One Coffee. Joined today by Matt Cooper and Craig Taylor. Afternoon, Craig. Afternoon, Matty. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? Pretty excited today, Craig. We've got a special guest with us, uh, Martin from the Resilience Project. Uh, good to have you here, Martin. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, the Resilience Project and... Uh, what you guys do? Yeah, um, the Resilience Project, we teach uh, positive mental well-being strategies and um, hopefully to support people to you know, be enabled to understand what they can put into practice to uh, support themselves being happy. We work with primary schools, secondary schools, um, and then we work with elite sport and corporate. Uh, so it's through presentations, we've got a curriculum, an online curriculum, and we've got apps and whatnot as well. But it's basically just trying to get uh, the information out to the you know people who are um, participating in the presentations or whatever else that they mm. be aware of what they can do to support themselves. Yep. And so, so why why did that start? Like, why was there a need? I think uh, Hugh, who I do this with, Hugh Van Collenberg started this mm. around about I don't know, it was about probably nine years ago. We're both former primary school teachers, and what we were seeing was more and more a necessity for possibly these skills to be taught in primary school kids. We we're finding more and more kids were struggling. Um, when dealing with adversity. And what we find is that um, to be resilient, you have to cope with adversity, you have to deal with it. And for every single one of us, that adversity is different. And so it's about, I suppose, acknowledging that there is a difference in terms of our interpretation of what adversity is, but then also knowing that there's things that we can do, uh, hopefully if they're embedded, that will support us to get through that adversity. Okay, excellent. Yeah, that sounds like a, a really challenging area to be able to communicate that across to... Um, some students are having a little look at uh, where Hugh sort of came up with the general thought to start the mm -hmm. program. He spoke about working with a tribe of people or a group of people in Northern India um, and seeing that they had a lot of gratitude, empathy and mindfulness, um, which led them to having that fulfillment in their lives. How, how do you use those, um, those general feelings to, I guess, nurture and push your kind of content to the students so whenever we do a presentation that we use storytelling so here or i um whenever we're doing that presentation use stories from our own world we talk about gratitude empathy kindness and mindfulness we draw on the research barbara freaks and martin seligman so positive gurus in the states a bit of brene brown as well but more so seligman um, and what we do is we then i suppose transfer the science to the recipient in a manner that they will connect with. So with a prep kid, as opposed to doing a gig across the road at ANZ, it's a totally different presentation, but it's basically opening up to their world about the importance of practicing gratitude, empathy, kindness, and mindfulness, the benefits for it, um, and then also, I suppose, getting them to connect with those themes, to buy in, that's crucial. So it's about sharing stories that the preps, the, you know, the lawyer, that I am, an elite sportsman will connect with, and then they can basically hopefully identify that this might be something that can enable them to put into place and support them as well. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's a, fascin it's a fascinating thing, isn't it? And look, Martin, this sort of podcast, we're tailored towards people moving into private practice, yeah. you know, and especially um, people who are just starting out in practice. But then also, I, f I feel like this conversation can be very valuable towards people who are actually supervising. You know, I already feel like we're going to learn a lot today, Craig. Um, what are you sort of finding some of these trends, I guess, with, with younger adults and people moving into their professional careers? 
you know, where, where are they falling down? Or, or not where they're falling down, but where do they need help? I, I suppose it, 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 you track it back. So the next generation coming up more and more so, what we're seeing, we're not saying this is wrong or right, mm. but we've got helicopter parents who have now become lawnmower parents. Mm. What do we mean by that? is that the kid, their pathway isn't chosen by them, it is chosen by their parents. Any obstacles, let's get them out of the way. Yeah. So you got 52% of Year 12 students back in 2017 who are female, they fear failure. All right? mm. Now, if you fear failure, therefore you're a perfectionist. The issue with that is when problem solving and initiative comes to play, more often than not, you're going to run in the opposite direction because you fear failing. Mm. The biggest dropout at universities are private school kids. Why? Because I'm a private school kid. I am. I went to Kerry. But we get spoon-fed a little bit. Mm. What's the biggest issue at a school? If I'm a principal and our data is not good, so The Age publishes the top 50 webs of schools. Mm. Every year, if you drop out of that top 50, you might get 30 less enrolments. What's 30 less enrolments? 900K. It's 30 grand a year to go to that school. Yeah, the right. principal goes to the board. They're 900K down. That is heat. If you want a Bunsen burner, go and be a principal and be 900 grand down. Yeah, yep. They then go back out, tell the year 12 teachers, we can't let them fail. We need the data to go up. Therefore, support them. Get their homework in. I don't care. You make sure they get it done. They yeah. then finish school. Yes. And they go to a university. Doesn't matter now. Completely different. You can yes. do the course of 15 years. Yes. I don't care. Drop out. Pay yep. the money. I don't mind. Mm. So other thing that we're finding is that because we fear failure, quite often it's because of our circumstances. I don't know about you guys, but how often, we, you know, whoever brought you up, your parents, foster parents, grandparents, mum, mum, dad, dad, did they ever speak to you about their failures? Now, if they didn't, mm. I'm not giving them any grief. But if they're not comfortable talking about their failures to you, how comfortable are you to talk about yours? Yeah, We're yeah. In, a, a, in a world where we fear that. Mm. Right? So, the, And then the next one is for the students that you've got is the one thing that we really struggle with as adults is transition. It's change. It's what it doesn't matter where it is. Yes. It can be coming to the end of a career. It can be starting a new career. But the change transition—that's what we fear the most because all of a sudden we are vulnerable. We are going into a new environment that we haven't experienced before, and it is unknown. If our environment has always been molded, been looked after for us, and it's always been something that we're comfortable with, the first time we're in that new situation. All yeah. hell breaks loose. So I guess that to an extent, as business owners, you're almost like a change manager to a degree for, for your new graduates coming into into your clinic. I think without doubt. And, yeah. I, think, and I think if they haven't experienced change mm. growing up, and this is our argument to parents and to teachers, then when will they? Yes. Now, it, and it's, it's like any topic. When we were born, we couldn't walk. And I did not look my mother in the eye and say, get the umbilical cord out, I need a glass of OJ. <laughs> yeah. If any one of your listeners did that, I want to talk to them because they are elite in their development. Yep. But they shouldn't be in Melbourne, they should be at NASA. Yes. And what we forget, though, is that they were the cornerstones of us learning how to walk, learning how to talk. But then as we get older, we fear yes. that moment of vulnerability, that moment of where we possibly could fail. But I fail every single day of my life, of without doubt. I'm going to fail during this you know, conversation with you guys, yeah. but every time I do, if I've got the courage to self-assess, mm. if I've got the courage to put in amendments, yes. I'm better for the experience. But I'm lucky because I've had a positive experience from my failures. Yes. If you've never had one, we totally get that. I'd freak out about it as well. Mm. If I've never been put in that situation, though, how am I ever going to get a positive experience from my failures? 
So you can roll out terms like every failure is learning, you know, what is fail first attempt in learning, acronyms, whatever it may be. But until you live and breathe that, you don't have that. You actually and, do yeah. it. Yeah. And so it's about one, being vulnerable. Two, possibly having the scaffolding around you to support you. So whether it's people like yourselves, mm. whether it be your mentors, colleagues, peers that are there with you on the journey and then being able to get back up, dust yourself off and go, you know what? Didn't enjoy that, but because I did get through it now, I've identified the skills and strategies that I put into play to get me through that turbulence. And now I know if I'm in a hole again, similar to what I was previously, I've been here before, don't really want to experience it, but you know if I am, I know what to do. Yeah. But that that's the crucial key. And so what we see is a lot of people leaving universities or coming to unis, they've never had a roadblock put in front of them and it's the first time it ever has. They're now independent mm. because they're an adult, so to speak. Not saying they aren't, yes. but man, they're 18, 19, they're living out at home. They are in control of everything they do. No one's checking up on them to come into class or anything like that. And because they've never stuffed up before, they run. Because what we all value the most is status, mm. self-worth. And what we find with uni students is that they're in a room and they start comparing themselves to every single other person in the joint. I don't want to be exposed. I don't want to be seen to be inferior. It's like back at school when you ask a kid, are you confused? I'm confused, but there's no way I'm going to put my hand up because I don't want to be exposed. My status takes a hit. Therefore, when I leave the room, my social status takes a hit because I'm doing veggie maths or whatever it may be and everyone's calling me the thick kid. Yep. Not just in that one environment. No. So it's a combination of things. And I, th- I suppose it's it's unrelenting this day and age as well, where, especially that comparison when you're talking about uh, social media, yeah. you know, Instagram, everyone's got the, the amazing, beautiful yeah. life on Instagram. Curated but, life. Yeah, yeah. No, no one's showing the uh, the hangover no. photos the next morning. No. It's always the, the spectacular party the night before. Yeah. Um, so there, it's, it is unrelenting in that sense, and there, there is no rest. With um, just thinking about the students uh, in allied health and medical courses, like we're looking at students who are generally high achievers already, mm. right? And so your pro- people listening to this podcast are already you know, used to succeeding. Um, there's a higher enter score for most medical type degrees. So that we're looking at people who are probably more of a proportion coming from a private school background, which is exactly what you're sort of looking at. Then we're asking them to go out into practice, work pretty much on their own and We've spoken in previous podcasts about the need to be vulnerable with your patients, to be able to say, I actually don't know what's going on here. Mm. And we're, they're so drummed into us at mm. university that we need to know all of the answers immediately. Not being able, and being able, instead, we should be able to say, I don't actually know. This is what I think's going on. Um, I'm going to do some more reading to make sure that I can help you better. And having that discussion with a patient rather than having to be the, you know, the font of knowledge, so to speak. Mm. I think that's a valid point and 100% fair because what in your industry, you need to connect with your patients. That's number one because, for instance, I see Cairo, he's around the corner, Martin, at Lion Chiropractic in South Melbourne, he's a ripper. But I go back to him because one, he's good at his job, but two, most importantly, I think he's a good human being. Mm. Now... I believe that. I'm not saying my judgment is correct, but because him and I have connected over a series of conversations where we have found out that we have values, morals that are aligned. Now, the best way you can connect with anyone is if they seek an answer and you don't know, is to tell them, I don't know. 
Yes. Because right there you are saying to them, I trust you. I trust you to accept me, to not know. I trust the fact that I'm being vulnerable with you, all right, and showing you that I don't have all the intel. But you know what? Back me in. I'm going to come back and I'm going to find out exactly what you said. If we do that, we, we profess that to everyone, whoever we talk to, whatever industry it is, because as soon as you do that, you're basically opening up the floor for a conversation, a future one to be had again, because they know you're comfortable say, I don't know. Therefore, I reckon the next time they don't know something, they're seeing you model that behavior and away you go. We don't model enough nowadays either. And our kids, this generation, maybe me included, we don't see it. And what I mean by that is we're on our phones, flat stick, 24-7. And what we don't do is we don't look up. We don't look up. We don't see the world. And the world, if you watch it every single day, there are opportunities to learn from other individuals who possibly are experiencing some adversity. There's opportunities to connect with other human beings who might need some assistance, mm. i.e. they're carrying too many bags, they can't get out through the escalator, whatever it may be. All these moments where we can connect with human beings allows us to be better. But one of the things I would have thought that your listeners really need to have is that ability to connect with the people they work with. Because if you cannot do that, I'm not coming back into your practice. I'm well, sorry, but I'm not. 100%. And it's not the people you work with and the people that you're working on. That connection is absolutely, absolutely vital. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it's amazing what you're sort of saying in the sense of, you know, I, I know we did an earlier podcast, Craig, where we spoke about the importance of listening and, you know, mm. repeating what you'd actually yeah. been told. And, you know, I never really thought of it in the sense of it being a connection, but that's exactly what it is. Mm. Oh, every day. And, and what happens when you listen? You get all the intel, mm. then you're informed. And when you're informed, you're a better decision maker. Mm. But the whole key about listening, exactly what you said, is that you build trust. Like, I don't... Whoever it is that you talk to, that you tell your innermost to, I'm tipping they've listened to you. Mm. That's the only reason why you go there. Yes. Like my brother rings me up. I'm not a qualified psychologist, but I feel like I have to be with him because yes. he rings me up every time we speak for 50 minutes. I don't get a word in, mm. but he just says it because he knows I'm going to listen to him. Sometimes I don't even have an answer for him, but because he can bounce it, he can self-assess what he's saying to me. He then is going through a thought process where he is basically assessing what he's saying and working out, did I say the right thing? How should my behavior change? Whatever it may be. But because I'm giving him an opportunity to talk and because I'm able to listen to him, he then has been able to make progress. And that is possibly changing his future actions. But we don't listen. Mm. We don't hang out. Kids in yep. year 12 now flirting by texting one another okay. and they're 200 metres away, 150 metres away. I find that interesting with your, your brother, yeah? So you're cut from the same cloth, I yeah. would imagine, and you've, you've been reared the same way and brought up the same way. How Do you find that challenging as as you seem to differ maybe in those sort of aspects? I, or? Not, not, no, I don't think so. No. I, think, I think that's the connection, though. Yeah. You know, and it's about respecting another person's point of view. Yep. And I think that's the other part. I mean, we talk about empathy, and empathy, I mean, that's the antidote to shame. Mm. Because if you talk to me about something more often than not that you are shameful of, that you are embarrassed by, if I connect with those emotions, if I allow you to understand that I've felt those emotions before, possibly to a similar occurrence, whatever it may be, right away, you feel normal. Yeah. When we don't, I mean, I'm going off a tangent here quickly, but, but the shame, we don't talk about it because we're fearful of the judgment, yes. right? So, but also it's about 
empathy is seeing it through another person's eyes. My brother and I, we, we are, we're, we're very similar, but we're, we're, we're different in many, many ways. And we do, we have different opinions. Mm. But I've got to understand that just because he has a different opinion to me doesn't mean that I'm right or wrong. Like, for instance, I'm not in Ardini, all right? Mm -hmm. And I was up north working with the miners up there. And, and I, I had a privileged opportunity to work with the miners up there. And I'm not into what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But then when I sat down with the actual miners and they said, well, mate, you give me another option because I've got three kids at home and I have no other skill set and this is the only job that I can do. So tell me what else I'm going to do. Mm. Now, if I was them and I couldn't put food on the table, I don't know. Yeah. Tiwi Islands, I was working with, um, with Tiwi College up there. The local boys up there are legends. But if they want meat, they have to go to the corner shop and it's frozen and it costs them $20 for three snags. Yeah, right. They go out water buffalo hunting. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. I went with them at night time. I've never been so scared in my life. <laughs> and they take an axe and they get their water buffalo. And as they said to me, yeah. why would I go to the supermarket when I only get you know, 40, 50 bucks a week and pay 20 bucks for one meal when I can go out hunting with my knife and my dog and get a meal for my whole tribe. Right. Until I was in that situation, I had not seen it through their eyes, felt those emotions that they experienced. Mm. It's, it's a massive, uh, I suppose, tool to have to be able to connect with each other, but then to allow someone to talk to you and for them to know that judgment is not on the other side of the phone or on the other side of the table. Therefore, you'll get someone who will open up more if the judgment is not going to come afterwards. Yeah, and we, we talk a lot about you know, the history-taking part of a consultation with a patient is where you make most of your decisions. So that's mm. where you're making most of your assessment of what's going on with this person, both in the physical sense and what's going on um, as the mental barriers to their um, improvement as well. And so by often we have, as clinicians, we have this desire to get the history done and you know, get to work, so to speak, on the table or doing the rehab or whatever it is. But more and more, we're seeing that a lot of the therapeutic benefit for patients is actually in the conversation and, and in identifying the barriers and then being able to work through those barriers. And then we do the hands-on stuff and the rehab stuff that complements that mm. rather than just thinking, all right, we need to get all these, you know, medico-legal things jotted down so yes. that we can get, get, you know, the tools working with our hands, right? Um, I'd be interested to just, uh, to try to get a couple of, um, strategies off you if that's possible. Mm. So, um, what are some of, like, if we had to look at strategies for people who are maybe anxious going to work or yep. anxious in their general day-to-day -day life, what are a couple of strategies that they could use? So I'll give a brief rundown of, of what we talk about and why. The gr gratitude and empathy and kindness give you an opportunity to experience positive emotions. So gratitude if you practice it, so it's focusing on what you've got. So a lot of us in Melbourne, everywhere else, we live in the if and then model. Mm -hmm. right, if I get this, then when I do, then I'll be happy. Your students, if I get these marks, I get into your course, then I'll be happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I earn 80k a year, then I'll be happy. If I earn 120 grand a year, then I'll be happy. I go, that girl, that boy, then I'll be happy. All right? that, it's okay to have goals. Fantastic. But that's not sustainable. Gratitude is focusing on right here, right now, what have you got? When you do do that, after 21 days, you could start writing down three things that went well. We scan the world for the negative. Quite often, if I gave, if we did a performance review, when you speak with your students, here's seven forms of feedback from the essay you did, fantastic. But you know, here's one that's negative. 
What do they walk out and stare at straight between yeah. the eye? They go straight to the negative mm. because we scan the world for that. And what we're saying is we need to rewire our brain to look for the positive. Okay, so the positive, how do we get that? What went well today? What, what am I most grateful for? What am I looking forward to tomorrow? The research states if you do that for 21 days, you start to rewire your brain. After 42, it just flows. And the main one from that is optimism. Now, what does optimism give anyone? Hope. That's the key. All right? Optimism also is at the other end of being pessimistic. If I'm pessimistic, and this is the issue, there's nothing wrong with you, but you are experiencing more negative emotions. Yeah. Now, if you're experiencing more negative emotions and they are in play throughout your life, then you are further down the line of possibly suffering from or in the future depressive symptoms because you think that's your world. All right? And you give up hope. I'm just going to wake up again tomorrow. Mate, it was exactly like today. It was a crap day. Yes, so it'll be a crap day today. Right. We're not saying every day is good. They, me, you will have bad moments. But if you have that ability to get some moments in your world that give you optimism, then you get those positive emotions, you persist. Empathy, kindness, whenever you do something for anyone else, your brain releases oxytocin. Oxytocin leads to self-esteem, confidence, happiness. Yeah, it goes through the roof. Mm. All right, leads to your self-efficacy. You know, being proud of what you're doing. Your students, me, on the way home tonight, let's get our eyes up off our phones and see someone get on the train and maybe give them a hand. Yeah, yeah? support them. Allow them to sit in your seat. Watch their face when you do something kind for them. They smile. When we thank other people, we don't do it enough. Acknowledge another person for their efforts. If they're doing a university assignment in a group, get around and thank each other and celebrate it. But when they do thank the person, the other person, the recipient of that, will glow. I ring up my mates every night, one at a time. I have 10 mates, and I have in my phone seven days. I'm aware of that. And I just pump them up. I don't even let them breathe. And I ring up and go, hey, Kanga, I love you, brother. You're the best father in the world, mate. You are awesome. And I just hang up. I always know when the young kids are in the car because they always say to me, you want speakerphone? You want speakerphone? You want speakerphone? Because they're worried about the content. But you know what? At the start, they thought I was a Fruit Loop. They did. And now they get pissed off at me because they've worked it. out the cycle of the 10 day and they're waiting for their pump up. But we don't tell, we wait to get married. We wait to bury someone to tell someone how we feel, feel about, about them. It's so, Mate, it's we so can't do that. So the, those two there, they give you those positive emotions. All right? They, you've got an opportunity to do that even if you are having the worst day. You have. Mm. All right? The mindfulness about being in the moment, calm, focused, that's the one where if you put into play the strategies can support you with anxiety and the disruptive thoughts. The ones where you're tossing and turning at night and you can't get to sleep. Yeah, and you keep going left, right, left, right, left, right. Mm. And you can't work out why you're not getting to sleep. Yeah? Well, mm. it's probably because of friction, because you rotate so hard, those sheets are about to take off. Yeah? <laughs> and then you open up the window, trying to get a bit of fresh air, yeah? yeah. and you've had about 15 green teas, because you know that will calm you down to get to sleep. But then at 3 a.m., you're busting to go to the bathroom, and you need to go to the bathroom, but you don't want to get out of bed because it's freezing. <laughs> so then you lie in bed trying to make that go away, but you know the body doesn't allow you to do that. So you finally get out of bed, you go there, get rid of the green teas, but then you stare at the ceiling, and you've got basically another three hours of your sleep to sleep, but you can't because your day's just started. Those moments, yes. all right? What they can do, they can. Coloring in is amazing. And when we say this to adults, they go, come on, mate, you're talking to an adult here, not a kid. Yep. It is phenomenal. Plus Seriously, it is, exactly. Mm. It's flow states. I mean, I'm sure your listeners will be aware of what flow states are. Being in the moment, 
right? For me, my flow states are paddling on my surf ski and mountain bike riding. I'm not talking, I'm not getting any information, I'm out in nature and I'm just there. And it allows me to slow down. You would see someone come in if they'd run a marathon, if they did that five days in a row, they'd need to do rehab. We run a marathon every day with our heads because we're taking in so much intel and we never do any rehab. Origami, puzzles are phenomenal. Seriously, 1500 piece puzzle, they can do it, it just slows them down. You can also do apps, meditation, sensational. I don't meditate because I don't have the skill set. What I mean by that, I cannot meditate. I've tried that many times, but I just don't, I can't do it. I don't slow down. But what I do do is I can find apps that talk to me about my breathing and it decreases my anxiety. What you can do at work or at home, if you're fearful of judgment, there are apps out there. We've got one called The Resilience Project. I'm not here to sell, but they check it out. It's good. I'm biased. Butterfly 2 is excellent. Calm, Headspace are all good ones as well. Happy Waves. But what people can do is they can listen to it in their earphones, on the bus, on the train, in between working with a client. The client always comes in and just peppering them, man. Yes. It's yeah, the one. It's something. always yeah. wants something after you. It's like a parent-teacher interview. They're all on the safari hunt, you know? <laughs> they come in with the safari hat and the shotgun, and they're just after you. No matter what you say, they're yeah. trying to pick apart your game. They're the ones that might give you anxiety. It might be a test, an exam. You can put the earphones in. You can practice it. And after around about 10, 15 minutes, you're on. Mm. But this is the key. All of what I've just said then and I reckon out of any of the people who should know this, it's your listeners, is that it has to be embedded. Yeah, yes. And that's where we always stuff up. Yes. Because what people want is the quick fix. So they do this, it doesn't work, and then they give up. Mm -hmm. But if I went and saw Cairo or you guys, and I was given strategies, and I went home and did them for one night, are you fair thinking if you think they're going to make an impact? You know what I mean? Oh, so it's, how, a, it's a great point. So how angry yeah. do you get with the people who come on in? They say, oh, yeah, I've been doing it. And you know, man, you, you know they've been doing nothing. Yes. Yeah? And you're looking at them and they're seriously trying to roll out to you that they've been doing it and it hasn't made progress. Don't talk crap to me, man. You haven't done it. Yeah. So it's like the old one right now. I've got mates, you know, it's winter in Melbourne, so they've been hibernating and they're a little bit tubby around the midriff, yeah? So they want to get fit for summer. So they go and join F45, they shell out three grand to do that bad boy, and they can't work out why they're not losing any weight. Well, they're not losing any weight because after every session, they go to McDonald's and get a McFlurry on the way home. Mm. It's exactly the same thing. Mm. So it's about routine. Yeah. That's what the one thing I'd stress, is that if you can get into a routine, then you are on. If you do this flippantly, then you will get a response that is probably in the same manner of what you put in. Mm. Uh, I think it's a good point and as um, allied health professionals we're not we're probably not great at looking after ourselves mm. we're, we're very mm. much wired to look after others and yes. I mean you can see at the moment the um, Osteopathy Australia is running a urgent call for extra participants to their caring for the clinician um, program because they haven't had enough people sign up because yeah. no one's interested yeah. Yeah. but we we hear every day people um, talking about how they're mm. feeling burnt out or overworked or stressed or anxious um, I think we need to you know make sure that we are looking after ourselves because if we're not looking after ourselves then we can't look after our patients so. the, the, the one thing I'll say about that is this is that 65% of adolescents they don't seek help all right and it goes back to what, I, I, I can't remember if we do, I was talking to you before the podcast or not, mm. but if your parents never spoke to you about failure, 
then how comfortable are you to talk about it yourself? Any action that is normal, everyone is on board. Mm. Any action that is not normal, we walk away. Every day of the week. Mm. You know when you go to a wedding? And you go to the wedding, right? And you always see one bloke and he's just smack. He's going way too hard too early. And you look at him and go, mate, you need to pipe it down. And then he's on the dance floor and the father bride's trying to get the speeches going, but he's dancing with no music. And his wife partner's on the peripheral going, you're kidding me? He's doing it again. But then you fast forward four hours and he's on the shoulder of the father of the bride. He's headbanging ACDC, Thunderstruck. The whole joint is going off with him because they've embraced his behaviour. Start of the night, he wasn't been exposed. Wasn't happy with it. It's yeah. exactly the same mm. with this. And, and you're right, like whoever we work with, psychs are the same. They psychs talk about this, but they don't look after themselves. Yes. You know, the worst professionals that seek in help are the health professionals. Yeah. But if also if no one's doing it, I'm fearful of being judged. Yeah. So if no one's talking about their failures, mm. then how are we going to inspire? How are we going to allow anyone else that we work with to feel comfortable to do the same when all it is is exactly like seeing a mechanic if I break down my car, elite, external, I benefit. They're professional. I don't know how to fix my car. They do it. I see a physio. Here's your rehab. Get onto it. An accountant. Have no idea about coin. Yeah? Maybe one day I get something back from the ATO. Who knows? <laughs> yeah? But you know what I mean? Like, so in every other profession, it is okay to walk through the door and seek that external support. But we drop psych, we drop well-being, we drop counsellor, and everyone freaks out. Mm. How's that any different? They're elite, external, and they're professional, and they've got strategies that if I listen to and put into play, they could just help me. Yeah. I think that's a crucial message. Oh, yeah. Point to sum up on it. I think we, we finish it up there. Martin, cool. thank you so much, mate, for coming in. That was... Brilliant, I could listen to that for hours. Um, um, if you do have any questions as we go through, please be sure to contact us over uh, Gmail, prackready at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram. We've just spent 20 minutes bagging social media. But anyway, feel, feel, <laughs> feel free to hit us up there. Um, if you have anything you want to add, Craig? People wanted to hear more of um, what Martin has to say. I believe you guys have got a talk coming up in Melbourne Uh on yep. the 16th of November? Yeah, that's right. right. Yep. So the 18th if, of November, maybe. Yeah, probably the 8th. So Hugh's doing that one. So Hugh and I do public talks. Um, if, if this interests you, you can go to our website. It's called The Resilience Project. Um, you, you can follow us on Facebook. <laughs> but, um, but what we do up there is we put up content related to what we talk about. So it's, it's about strategies. It's about possibly articles to make people think about, I suppose, questioning their own, the way they operate. But yeah, if they go to the Resilience Project website and they click on public talks, um, we have public talks there. There's journals, the apps, all that information. If they're interested in, to, in that, um, they can access it that way. And if they want to get in contact, they can send an email and we'd be happy to oblige in return and, and you know, uh, reply with any questions, answers, what, 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 you know, best of our ability. And just another plug there as well, Martin, I've been listening to your your podcast, The Imperfects, yeah. um, which is also a brilliant, brilliant thing to listen to. And yeah. I think they're four or five episodes in at the moment. Yeah. And uh, some great Australians who have been on it. And it's just, yeah. a, it's a fantastic listen. Yeah. And that's just, that's huge chatting with people who, you know, majority of us would know who are, you know, in the limelight, so to speak, but are, are talking about 
that they are not, they're just not imperfect. Perfect. Yeah, they're not perfect. So talking about possibly their struggles in life um, and just really, I mean, the, the essence of that podcast is just to get everyone to understand that we're not alone. That, that life, you know, there are some dark moments and bad times, but um, to think that if someone else out there is doing a hell of a lot better than you, that isn't always the case. But if we, you know, work together as a team, um, we can benefit and we can help one another prosper. Perfect. Thanks Perfect. very much. Thanks, You're welcome. Thank no you. at all. That was outstanding. Yeah. Do you breathe when you talk, mate? Or <laughs> Thank you for listening to Prac Ready. If you wish to contribute, Craig and Matt would appreciate the support. Head over to www.patreon.com slash PracReady and join our coffee club for $4 per month. That's www.patreon.com slash PracReady. Do it now. Have a fantastic day and all the best in private practice.